Hello and welcome to another episode of the Black Business Psychology Network's podcast. This podcast will showcase and introduce Bianca Wynn, who is a psychotherapist and counsellor who completed her postgraduate diploma at the University of East London, which is a course that I also undertook with her, which we completed in May of this year. The course is a two-year postgraduate diploma done part-time, and within that course, it is a British Association of Counselling and Psychotherapist accredited course, which allows people to practice after the course and after they've completed the practical element, which is 100 hours of supervised practice with therapy clients. So stay tuned to listen to Bianca's experience of having an undergrad and doing an undergrad in psychology and what led her to pursue a career or career redirection in psychotherapy and counselling. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Black Business Psychology Network podcast. We have a very special guest on today and I just wanted her to introduce herself. Hi everyone, my name is Bianca Wynn. Thanks for the great introduction, Grace. I'm an integrative counsellor and psychotherapist. I'm quite a creative person, I think, outside of the box. Um, And I just, in general, just love working with people, empowering them, children, young people from all walks of life. And I have gone the unconventional route. And this is something that I'm so honoured to share with Grace today and to share with you all. So thank you. So the course that Bianca is referring to is it's a course in psychotherapy and counselling. So we're going to talk about Bianca's journey to this course, what led her to come to where she is today. And she also has an undergraduate degree in psychology, but we'll also talk about that in the podcast. So, like I said, thank you so much for your time. I'm really excited to have you on. And the main reason I wanted to is because I don't remember from my undergraduate degree, and I might be wrong because I haven't kept in touch with many of them, but I don't remember anyone having gone the counselling psychotherapy route at all. Maybe one. I think one person I know wanted to go down the relationship counselling route and she did some extra courses afterwards but it's literally one out of like a hundred over a hundred people so I just thought I wanted to talk to you to find out where this came from what was your origin stories and all of those kinds of things so the first questions I'm going to ask is first of all you did an undergraduate degree in psychology so can you just let us know a bit more about that like where you studied it how you found it and how it was useful for you um so so you want to find out the method to my madness basically (laughs) not mad it's not mad um so yeah so my undergraduate degree i did it at city university um wow coming up to about seven years ago um to be honest i found it really interesting so i had done a level psychology in my sixth form and from them it was a a lot of reading Mm. but I really enjoyed the kind of human behavior aspect Mm -hmm. learning about the brain and the way we behave so yeah from there went on to do it at city and there are a few aspects of it I didn't enjoy particularly like the kind of theory and philosophy side to it okay um because I think I'm quite a straightforward person. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy the statistics, which nobody liked. I was, was going to say, nobody likes that. No one did. I think I was the only one out of the whole like, cohort to like statistics. But yeah, so, and I think I was drawn to the amount of like broad possibilities that mm-hmm. I could go, the path was that I could go with psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is why I didn't take up like a dual um course okay like psychology and sociology right um yeah overall I think I really enjoyed it maybe not the third year because that (laughs) that was a test in itself honestly I think I learned all different layers to myself in that (laughs) third year um but yeah it was it was a really good course excellent I what you said first of all what you said about third year yeah I don't know, someone would have to pay me a lot of money to redo that undergrad third year because mm-hmm. it was a lot. It was a lot. It was mainly in the library. I, I've seen areas of that library 
I discovered areas that I've never discovered before. So it was very interesting. It was, it was, it was hard stuff. So like you're saying, but, and also it's interesting that you went to, you stayed in London for your undergraduate. And I know cities are an excellent department for psychology. They're quite world renowned, like they've got all the areas of psych. So yeah. What was it like to study in like the heart of Angel? To be honest, because I didn't move away. So mm. all of my friends did. Mm. So I used to visit about maybe seven different unis. Mm. most of like half terms I'd be at a uni Brighton Loughborough so I had that social aspect but right. I would say that area there wasn't much of a social aspect mm. of like that university life yeah um I th- the university was great in terms of resources research um but yeah that that was the only thing just the the social life I think was lacking yeah definitely that's probably why you taught you did a tour of unis with your friends because yeah <laughs> literally well they're fresh as a week I was over there um yeah and I think I decided to stay in London and I think they thought I was all mad but because I felt quite relaxed at yeah. home mm. um I didn't really f- feel the need to absolutely to yeah to live away it makes sense like if you feel that's the thing with London it's got so many world renowned excellent institutions so if you're already in and around London mm. why not like make it, it makes total sense but um it sounds like you made the best of it and you're able to have both sides yeah definitely um I don't I wouldn't say I regret living in London but I do wish I had like even a year to live out mm. Um, just because it kind of felt like I was at college. Yeah. I had I had gone from sixth form, yeah, which is like around the corner from my house, to mm. going to like another college, which was in Islington down the right. road. Right. <laughs> like a half an hour train journey. So, yeah, I, I would I would probably recommend like just to go and see it. Absolutely. Experience it. But it sounds like a good experience overall um and he obviously gained a lot and like i said city mm-hmm. and other london universities are all very good departmental as for psychology so you got a good foundation excellent so when you studied psychology what was the aim did you have like a goal in mind because some people are like oh i want to do this and other people are like i'll oh, i'll do psychology and see what happens mm. um my aim yeah, I've I've kind of like hopped around aims over the years. But I think when I chose to study psychology, my aim was I love to work with children. Um a short term aim was to be a teacher. Um oh. and then that kind of quickly changed after being in education for a few years. Okay. And I thought, okay, maybe not a teacher, but an educational psychologist. Right. So that that was like my primary aim, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then that changed <laughs> to clinical psychology, right? And I think most commonly, I say commonly, very loosely, but people who tend to do like psychology might you know, progress to like the EP educational psychologies or yeah. clinical psychologists. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it was something that I thought I, I really want to be sure and get different experiences first. Yeah. Before I jump into like a three-year doctorate. Absolutely. And how did you get those experiences? Because it sounds like you really did test the waters, which is, and I've always said this in my other podcast, our other podcast, we've said the same, like really try, because areas of psychology are so different Mm. you will have no idea what the reality and your thought processes are like you might think oh yeah I want to I want to help kids and then you figure out that ed psych is actually not so hands-on or you feel like clean psych isn't so hands-on so yeah Mm -hmm. what was what were the experiences that you had um so I kind of went down different routes so I ended up being a teaching assistant Mm -hmm. and I thought before I become a teacher let me spend like a year being a TA mm-hmm. um and I just I think I was just put off by the teacher politics and <clears throat> the education system and from there I went on to like learning mentor in primary schools right. 
because I thought I quite like the kind of behavioural side uh-huh. of children development. Mm-hmm. And I saw there was a great need for that while I was a TA. Yeah. And then after a while, I think I kind of lost that like passion. You see the kids have the same type of behaviours pushed enough. And it was the same, that education structure was quite stifled. For yeah. me, that's how I personally felt like yeah. stifled. Um, so I ended up like changing careers altogether, mm-hmm. going into adult mental health. Right. Which was a big step. <laughs> it was a big step and a big eye-opener mm. as well. Very challenging um, mentally, physically, emotionally. But I'm glad I did it mm. because I think it got me to, well, I don't think I know, it got me to where I am today. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it was, and I think through each of those experiences, mm-hmm. I I thought they were failures. But mm. Each job I had, I thought, oh, it's either too stressful, yeah. um, the hours are too long, mm-hmm. um, too tiring. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but then I not not really realizing it. Each every time I left a job, yeah, I was going on to something that would further my development. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean I can't. What you're saying about oh you went in and you were like oh they were too tiring. I mean every single one of those roles is extremely involved. Like you can't work with kids and not be involved and exhausted because kids, whatever age, it's very like. Th- you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of children and you're expected to help them learn in a better way and help them to be able to absorb the material. And then when you go to adult mental health, that is just full on. Mm. It's because again, you've got loads of patients and people you're supposed to help in absorbing that and being able to do it. And then, so yeah, it's no wonder that you retired. (laughs) (laughs) So what's the difference between a TA and a learning mentor? Right, so the with the TA, teaching assistant, my role was to basically generally help the class, like support with maths, English, science, just basic support. I could be at a table of like five children. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found, so I did a teaching assistant role in two different schools. Mm-hmm. But what I found was that more or, yeah, probably nine out of ten times, I would be asked to to support children that weren't at a lower level. But it was, Mm. I almost felt like they were being left behind. Uh And that really, it it just went against like everything I believe in. Mm. And I I understood it was the education system and, you know, not everyone can be helped and they have certain, you know, like levels that they need to attain as teachers, head teachers. Um, so, yeah, that was a more general role. Yeah. But sometimes the roles are kind of mixed or they're blurred. Yeah. So I was doing a lot of one-to-one with special needs. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had a lot of special needs <laughs> children mm-hmm. that I've worked with. Um, but it wasn't necessarily my job role. But it, right. it all got thrown in to right. that teaching assistant role. Right. Um, and then with the learning mentor it was more specified to behaviours, so more challenging behaviours. Um, so I did sessions for children in primary school mm-hmm. where it was tackling their barriers to learning. Mm-hmm. So it was more specific, which I really enjoyed. Right. Rather than, oh, Bianca will do that. Oh, Bianca can help with this kid. Oh, Bianca's yeah. going to Yeah. Or like fixing wall displays. Oh, and things like that for like the rooms and yeah. So it was definitely. I felt like I was putting some of that studying yeah. of my undergrad mm. to use in that role. Yeah, like learning mental seems a bit more. You can use interventions. You can use research. You can. It's like a project yeah. that you can implement with the children to help them to develop themselves. Were you working in a in primary schools? or secondary as, as a learning mentor yeah yeah so yeah that was primary schools I actually had the privilege I call it the privilege now yeah because I can. 
of working in so they call it a provisional alternative unit yeah um for primary school children so i worked there for a few weeks very very challenging is that what pru's are or are they aligned with pru's but they're not pru's pru's are people referral units by the way Oh wow! Yeah, it's, 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 it's basically that. Yeah, some of them were six, mm. as young as six. Yeah, it sounds yeah. hard, and I understand what you were saying about the system. Like, how can you make change in a system that is quite rigid? And there's reasons why they've got standards, etc. But then you can't help if if you're in a situation like that or in a position like that to feel some kids are being left behind literally mm-hmm. like and they're being taken out of school into an alternative school yeah it's just like I do get it but at the same time there's obviously challenges for the staff and for the children as well oh yeah definitely and I think even with the staff I just saw how little support there were mm-hmm. there was for staff mm-hmm. they were like I would say physical abuse yeah. <laughs> every day yeah from children it's, but you have quite little control mm. I think the the level of staff support was very minimal mm. sounds a bit sad but mm. at the same time did you see whilst you were there what were the positive parts of that role and like what did you learn about yourself I think, to be honest, that role, so I was a mentor for about three or four years, but I just think it was my passion for working with children really Mm. grew. Mm. That was the positives. Like you could be having a really like tough day. You think, oh, you know, struggle waking up in the morning, Mm. don't want to go to work. And then it would be that like split second where one of the year six boys like says a comment and then yeah. you just burst out laughing. <laughs> so just, and they have like no filter. <laughs> so, and it, it just really makes your day. So I would say that that would probably be like my highlight of working in schools. Yeah. yeah. And I think just, just in general, seeing the children really grow, mm. develop. Like some of the children I've worked with, they, I'm bragging now because I can, but they, <laughs> they literally have made like a 360 mm. where they went from like flipping tables over Whoa. in the middle of a classroom yeah. with 30 students mm. to like, you know, managing the situation better in a calm way, speaking about how they feel. Mm. So it's just, it's just like a beautiful thing to see that. It is, especially with young children, even any, any young person for me as well, I've got a bit of a soft spot for that, that area and those age groups. I think you can see change. You can see like the, the outcomes, even if it's like little glimmers. And then it just is so nice to see once you're like, oh, okay. So all of that, like hard work and the tears and the tantrums and the dramas is finally sunk in. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so to your adult mental health work, can you tell me a bit more about that in terms of like what kind of um, units you were in and what kinds of people that you worked with? Um, yeah, so I worked with, they were 18 years and over, males and females. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically my service was a recovery service. Okay. Um for Barnet, Enfield and Harringay. I mainly worked between Enfield and Harringay mm-hmm. boroughs. But, so it was basically a step-down service from the mental health wards. Right. So after a patient would have, they may have a breakdown or they might have been sectioned. Mm-hmm. They may spend a month or so in, in the ward. Mm-hmm. And then instead of them going straight back into the community, they come into the recovery house for a bit of respite right 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 yeah or some of them had no home to go back to Mm. um which was yeah really sad so Mm. they would come to the recovery house so that their housing could be sorted out for them then move on Mm. so it's like an in-between stopgap yeah yeah 
And what kinds of conditions did the clients have? Because I'm not sure if you called them clients or patients. Yeah, that, that really used to get to me, actually, like the naming mm. of clients. So it basically, either clients, we weren't really supposed to call them patients because mm. they had come out of hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would say residents. Uh-huh. So, yeah just to make it easier so they Mm. don't feel like they're actually patients still yeah exactly um so the the type of residents we had were it it, there was it ranged really Mm. from schizophrenic Mm -hmm. people who had schizophrenia Mm -hmm. and bipolar disorder Mm -hmm. um eating disorders Mm -hmm. there was a lot anxiety depression right personality disorder mm-hmm. EUPD was like a, that was quite a big one EUPD um emotional uns- emotionally unstable personality disorder isn't that what they've renamed borderline yeah. personality disorder yeah I thought that was familiar yeah yeah the, these names change all the time. <laughs> I, can't, I can't keep up I thank you DSM-5 <laughs> thank you DSM-5 I know I can't keep up so yeah that it was I was those were like the toughest jobs that I've ever done Mm. um and I think what I saw although the service was deemed as like mild to moderate mental health issues yeah that those are the cases that we dealt with however there were a lot more severe cases (laughs) yeah yeah and I was like we're thrown in situations Mm. where you think oh my gosh I need like more training for this but there's no time. Mm. There's no money, resources. Mm. Um, so yeah, you literally just have you're thrown in the deep end, and yeah, you just have to stay calm. <laughs> so, what kinds of things were you doing with the residents? So, in terms of like, you know, someone came in, they've been sectioned with schizophrenia, they come to the recovery house. What kinds of things would you do with those residents? So it, it varies. So it really depends it depended on what each resident needs. Mm -hmm. So some were there predominantly for housing. Mm -hmm. So we'd help them fill out housing forms. Um, They may need someone to accompany them to the housing office. Right. Things like that. There were activities Mm -hmm. because of, so some activities were things like board games. Yeah. Might film like film night, games Mm -hmm. night. Mm -hmm. Um, But, I'm going to be very honest with the lack of time, lack of staff. Yeah. That there's so many things that I had to contend with. You're running an office. Yeah. You're managing referrals. Yeah. Left, right and center. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got pressure from say bed managers yeah. in the mental health wards. Mm-hmm. We really want to like, just keep these beds open yeah more patients to discharge people like yeah, yeah just yeah discharge them they're fine discharge they're them recovery house mm. can they come tonight and then there's so much paperwork so much mm. um it's just crazy and then but at the same time while i was on a shift you're managing seven or 12 other people in a house they could come and go right but some of them weren't very stable enough mm-hmm. to be on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I would find myself like running around sometimes, obviously the upkeep of the house. So wow. if there's anything that needs fixing, you'd report it. So it was a very hands-on job. Very much so, because you're not just dealing with the emotional, social uh-huh. needs of the residents. You're also running an actual living situation for multiple people yeah there's quite a lot of skills that you have to have all at the same time like planning an organization analysis communicating with the everybody whilst trying to stay calm and collected yourself yeah definitely there's there's a a couple of um shifts that i've had that i will never ever forget Mm. to this day Mm. because i think i left and i thought how on earth did i do that Mm like superwoman how did i do that yeah but no it just it just made makes you realize that you can do you can do anything yeah like and and those situations you are really 
you're managing people but managing people at their most vulnerable time Mm, because they're there and after you come out of hospital I can imagine that that's probably you're feeling all sorts of emotions on top of whatever mental health condition you have definitely yeah so these yes the residents were basically left in our care Mm. so some of them had family and friends that came but Mm. on a 24 hourly basis they were left in our care so their concerns their worries Mm. like you know it was it was down to us to comfort them make them feel at ease Mm. yeah it was it was it was was tricky yeah and I think that role were you still doing that role when you started the counseling and psychotherapy course yeah but I was I I was doing it on an agency basis so what kind of led you to you were like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I want to stay here. What, what do I do next? Do you mean in terms of the psychotherapy? And- yeah, like what led you to pursue the course and why did um, you choose it? To be honest, I think it was actually that job, mm. that role. Because I had done a couple of other roles. So I was like a housing resettlement officer. Right. Working with mental health, um, right. people with mental health issues, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it was throughout the whole experience in mental health, the amount of stories I had heard that I had read yeah, people's lives. And when they would come to the recovery house, I'd read up on their case beforehand mm. and then meet them. Yeah. But they were like totally different people. Mm. And I think it, it just really, really intrigued me. Yeah. And I think sitting down and actually having conversations with these people I was able to kind of just give them that listening ear. Absolutely. And what they got from it was, you know, I'd have people say, oh my gosh, thank you so much because you sat down and you listened. And in my eyes, I thought, oh, well, it's not, it's not that much of a big deal. Mm. Like I'm here, it's my job. But for them, it was, it was like something really special. And I thought, you know, what? I, could, I could actually do this as a career. Absolutely. And unfortunately, situations like that, I mean, I think most people go through life without people, very many people listening to them, like without any interjection, just listening, letting them be where they are, no judgment. Like people don't get that privilege at all. It's not really a privilege. I think it's more of a right, but now it's seen as a privilege. But anyway, it's a whole different story for a whole different day. But yeah, like it's so rare so the fact that you were doing that and they were they were so appreciative shows how that was lacking in their lives yeah definitely and I think even myself when I did so I did the introductory course right counseling skills yeah um and that was for 12 weeks and I did that city lit in Holborn so from there I I I think at that stage I realized how much even I myself sometimes don't actually listen to people properly and even just those 12 weeks having someone else during the practices listening to me mm. even if it was a little five minute practice here and there or 10 minutes in the in the classes it was really beneficial for me yeah so that that is that is mainly what made me want to go into that direction Excellent. Oh yeah, I didn't know that you did that course, that City Lit. Yeah. I've I've heard of City Lit, and I always look at their courses, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'll do that, and then I don't. But um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realise that they did an introduction to counselling course. I'll put the link in the for anyone that's interested because those courses are always very good. It gives you a taster, and before mm-hmm. you delve into like a full-on two or three-year diploma or whatever, you get an idea if what, what, it's something that you want to do. Yeah, of course. I think it even helps in just generally in the workplace as well. Absolutely. Very much so. And I was saying to somebody last week, the podcast that we recorded last week with a couple of um, occupational psychologists, that in undergrad, I think they should teach, have a module on counselling skills. And then in all the master's courses, just like the research methods is like Mm. everywhere, alongside it, run a, just a basic you know, even if it's half a half a semester module on it, because I think those skills are invaluable. Definitely, yeah, they are. Excellent. So, 
you kind of were led to something in psychotherapy through your client work in the adult mental health section and I kind of think that the work that you were doing with children as well you were probably listening you know again children a lot of times don't get listened to and it's not just what they're saying it's actually how they're behaving like what they're saying and how they're behaving sometimes do not correlate (laughs) yeah so that's probably another realization that you were like oh maybe I want to do this a bit more in depth this is what I want to focus on oh yeah definitely definitely and it it is very very important that is that is definitely what I learned and it's through people's body language and it's true especially with children some of the younger ones who aren't don't get me wrong they are very articulate Mm. at the age of five (laughs) Mm. but sometimes you can tell the way a child or even the way adults act you, you might think oh okay you're a bit different from yesterday mm. check in and see what's going on yeah um and a prime example of that is so while I was doing the mental health work this is with an adult mm-hmm. um so we had gotten training on like suicide self-harm mm-hmm. um and one of the guys in our house mm-hmm. one of the residents he kept kind of saying to some of the staff you know, planning when he was going to end his life. Mm -hmm. And I actually sat down and was discussing it with him. Uh The process of, you know, is he going to tell family, friends? How was he feeling? What's led him to this point? Mm -hmm. And he was really, really like depressed, Mm -hmm. very down, like Mm -hmm. low. And a few days later, he literally was really like bright, uplifted. And I wasn't on shift after that yeah. and heard that he attempted to by walking into the road and okay it was something and I had highlighted to the other staff well he seems really cheerful today mm. like it's quite sudden let's just mm. keep an eye on him mm-hmm. but yeah it was it was just that like because of his behavior yes they couldn't prevent him from you know going out and ending his life because it was an open service Mm. but at least they were aware yeah exactly and they're able to put things in place yeah afterwards. definitely but I think that's where skills that you learn on psychotherapy and counseling course and we're going mm. to go into that in a, in a minute are really invaluable to so many different environments it doesn't have to be as like life and death as a suicide attempt yeah it definitely. could be anything around mental health and noticing those differences doesn't even have to be around mental health it could be just around behaviors like well that person seems a bit different like you said to to how they were yesterday that's really Mm. a great skill to have you probably got it more than me because I'm like oh that person's being mean (laughs) why what's wrong with them or like oh someone's a bit different oh yeah I don't know this I I need to I need to work on that a bit more (laughs) (laughs) so over to counseling psychotherapy course that you have completed part of at university of east london when i say part of will you be going on to do the ma yeah hopefully no i'm not going to say hopefully i am you will (laughs) i will do the ma in the back of my mind i'm thinking can i do another year of studying but i am going to do it yeah it's a bit different to like i mean obviously it's study but it's a you don't have to go in you speak to the tutors when you need to you can actually do other things at the same time so and it's all it'll be over within a flash (laughs) like real quick that is literally what i've been telling myself this whole time it will be the past two years have just flown by so a year exactly so the first two years of the counselling psychotherapy course, I'll give you a bit more of an overview for the listeners. So counselling and psychotherapy can do what, what myself and Bianca did was a postgraduate diploma at the University of East London. And it takes two years part time. They kind of make you do it part time. I suppose you could do it in a full time, but they say to the students that it's better doing it over a two year period. And that is a one day a week course, a full day and then placement like a counseling placement that you have to find yourself embedded in that and then you do a hundred hours of supervised practice over those two years was actually up to three years um you've got to do that so 
counseling and psychotherapy course how was it for you uh, how was it for me it was life-changing mm. i will say that um i think starting the course i i didn't know what to expect i didn't really have expectations mm-hmm. um i really enjoy learning mm-hmm. so in my head i thought great i can learn some new theories put them into practice start earning some meaningful money <laughs> um but yeah it just i think because we were opened up a lot to look inside of ourselves and mm. really analyze what was going on before we actually begin to help other people yeah. i just it yeah i think it just opened up different pathways for me mm. just personally yeah um like some of my thinking patterns uh the way i behave in certain ways Mm -hmm. which i hadn't picked up on before Mm -hmm. um and it just really taught me that and also looking back on especially my i would say career Mm. i've always seen as i said before the changes that i've had like i've changed jobs about four four times now Mm. but i always saw them as failures Mm. and going through the course and having to look back at those experiences I realized mm. no actually there were reasons why I stopped each job yeah some were because I just wasn't challenged enough yeah mainly it was because of my health mm-hmm. so I've got sickle thalassemia right yeah so it's so I have sickle cell trait and thalassemia trait which are blood disorders he got both traits yeah wow blessed enough to get both traits yeah i was wow because thalassemia can you say (laughs) thalassemia thalassemia i'd only ever seen written down and then a friend of another friend of mine's got thalassemia trait that i only mainly know people that have sickle cell trait or full-blown ss so when she said she's got thalassemia trait, I was like, oh, so how does that present in you? And we'll talk about this later on, unless you want to talk about it a bit now. But well, so two different blood disorder traits. Combined. Combined. The odds of that are very (laughs) small. I know. And my brother has none. He's got, as they, an atypical blood type. Right. Yeah. So because of that, I realised actually maybe i wasn't making like a really big deal out of you know being like really fatigued and yep. really stressed out uh-huh. and having like probably more crisis throughout that period mm. so yeah for that reason i thought that gave me even more plight for this course yeah, yeah. because having chronic health condition yourself and working in like all of the jobs you've had very hands-on very full-on with children, with people that suffer from mental health and conditions. So they, the time and the mental capacity they're using to do mm. your day-to-day stuff, that doesn't include any of your own stuff yet. You're just helping other people. <laughs> yeah, it's mind-blowing. It's crazy. But I think the way I would say my condition is, mm. it's I manage it very well, but these things only come up unless I try, try it out. Mm. So with like the mental health, recovery house work Mm -hmm. it was shift work and in hindsight I knew that it would be really really hard Uh but it was something that I thought you know what I'm just gonna have to try it Mm -hmm. I was there for six months it felt like six years (laughs) (laughs) because you probably did six years worth of work I did I literally did but yeah I just I just had to try it and just see how my body would react Mm. hence why I just chopped and changed trial and error how did your body react to that um um i won't lie i was a mess oh man (laughs) i was a mess sorry i think the thing is i really enjoyed the actual role Mm -hmm. like i enjoyed my work Mm -hmm. but the shifts the shift patterns were were just didn't work in my favor (laughs) shift work is actually one of the most difficult types of roles that I've ever done. It's really hard to juggle your life. You're like, oh, tomorrow I'm on a late. So yeah. I have to go to, 
I can go to bed at a normal time. And then the next day you're on an early. So you're like, ah, oh, I can come back from the yeah. late and then go to bed straight away. Cause if I, but then what will I eat for dinner? Because then I'd eat to make food, but then I'm up at X amount of time to do the early. Yeah. I only did that for like a summer and I was like, yeah, not doing that again. It, yeah. It was, the shift work was really draining. And on top of that, I mean, I didn't do too many because I tried it out and I had to say to my manager, I, I can't carry on doing this. It's too much strain on my body. Mm. But they also had sleep-ins. Oh, yeah. I was thinking but about the that. Shifts, the way they did it, it was like a ro- uh, rolling rotor. Uh-huh. But you would do like a late shift from 2 to 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. And then sleep in and then wake up by uh, like, I would say half, like right. 6.30 and then do another early so you can't even you don't even go home you just stay there no <laughs> another early until three thirty. it's like i'm sure people are listening that are medical professionals so doctors nurses healthcare assistants i know that's that is quite normal i'm really pleased i didn't actually have to do too many of those mm. but never again man yeah Right, so you spoke about your thalassemia and sickle cell trait. So would you like to explain a bit about those two disorders and then how, because again, I've never met anyone with both, (laughs) you poor thing, and how that kind of presents itself in your life and how you navigate those challenges? Yeah, so I've had the correct name is Sickle beta zero thalassemia. I'm gonna have to write this down. Yeah. Sickle, like beta. literally B two zero two zero. Like 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 um alpha beta. Oh right, beta zero thalassemia. I literally looked that up probably last year and actually looked up why I actually have right <laughs> after almost thirty years. But um yeah, so it's basically, so my dad has sickle cell trait. Yes. And my mum has thalassemia trait. Man, <laughs> you poor thing. Yeah. So you were just like, I'll have them both. I'll have them both. So it means that, so my consultant actually explained this to me. Yes. A couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So I have the sickle shaped cells. I also have the thalassemia cells, which are smaller than average red blood cells. So they carry less oxygen. So not only do you have some sickle-shaped red hemoglobin, yeah. So half the size. You've even you've also got other blood cells that are smaller. Or do you have them both, like one that's small and sickle, and then one that's ones that yeah. are just small? Whoa, that's mind blowing. I think yeah. And so yeah. So with people with thalassemia, you're not really allowed to have iron because your red blood cells hold too much iron i think right so it's quite dangerous if for example like sickle cell mm-hmm. means that you might be anemic yeah so people naturally would take more iron yes but then with thalassemia if you take too much iron it could be quite dangerous so you have to but balance I, your treatment i don't i don't take iron <laughs> so i don't do that um but luckily like i have to thank god because Apparently, all the years that I've had my appointments, mm-hmm. um, I have been very lucky and I would be much worse, mm-hmm. but I still have a percentage of my fetal hemoglobin still in my, in my bloodstream. That is wild. Well, it, just, it just stayed there? A- apparently so. Just chilling? Like, just oh, chilling. I'm just there, like, in the bloodstream. Yeah. So I think during adulthood it, it should actually decrease as mm-hmm. you get older mm-hmm. but for some reason I've still got a bit more mm-hmm. than like I should which is actually keeping me from having the amount of crisis that I, I probably would have so for clarification mm-hmm. they're two separate disorders but because you've got traits from both sides of your parents which these are inherited disorders as well by the way for anyone that's listening it's come together to form its own kind of disease, which affects. And, and so, yeah, the next question is, how does it affect you for those that are not familiar with either or both? 
Um, so the way it affects me is the same way to anyone with um, sickle cell anemia, mm-hmm. but I would say on a lower severity. Okay. So over the years, I didn't really experience much symptoms as a child, but growing up, I think especially from the age of maybe 17, 18, where right. my lifestyle changed a bit more, like I'm going out with friends more and yeah. doing stuff. And I suppose your parents don't have as much control yeah. over like what you eat, what you drink, mm-hmm. taking vitamins and all of that. Mm-hmm. So I noticed like a significant increase in like crises, especially fatigue, mm-hmm. probably throughout my 20s. Uh-huh. I would say more late 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, so then more specific to your question. It, so it affects my, I would say mainly my joints. Mm-hmm. So I get like painful joints. And it's mainly if I'm like really stressed out, very fatigued, mm-hmm. like tired, bodies feels quite heavy. If the weather, it primarily depends on the weather as well. Yes. So it's not so much, I was explaining to my friends the other day, it's not so much when the weather is constant. Okay. So if it's like just winter and it's cold uh-huh. and you know it's going to be cold for like a few weeks, mm-hmm. then that's fine. I can put on like layers. Uh-huh. That's cool. And in summer, if it's constant, it's fine. It's the change in weather. So when it's like suddenly really cold yeah, and then the next day it's like hot. Or you get that like lukewarm weather, which um, we're in London. In England, much. it's probably the worst for changeable weather. I know. I live in the wrong country. <laughs> I know this. But um, yeah, and damp, damp mm. weather as well. But yeah, but I have found that certain things, I suppose, that I've done throughout the years, like just upkeeping with exercise, uh-huh. I drink probably about maybe two litres a day. Mm. In warm weather, I mm. probably drink a lot more. Yeah. Because I get very dehydrated easily. Okay. And that's something else that can cause crisis. So like pains in your joints. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, and I think over the years, it always changes. Yeah. Like, I don't think anything about the sickle cell is constant. Yes. And yeah. with hormones, yeah, like everything changes. So I'm always learning about my body in like Absolutely. ways. And I've learned that it doesn't necessarily, the pain doesn't necessarily need to be like in somewhere where you have a joint. Okay. Because it's your blood. It's like anywhere. Exactly. I think when you talk about crises, some people might not understand what a crisis is. And that's, do you get crises with full-blown thalassitis? thalassemia as well or is it just sickle cell that you get crises how does it work you know what i'm i'm really not sure mm, i'll have to I don't, put some links down the thing that i do get asked a lot when especially at the hospital when i meet other people with sickle cell anemia they kind of assume that i have a lot of blood transfusions yeah i was gonna ask that actually yeah but never had you know touch wood thank god i've never had to have one mm. yeah but I'm, I'm really not sure if people with thalassemia have crises or pain in that extent mm. so with the sickle cell presenting because you're getting crises which is more associated with sickle cell what does that mean so you did say about it, the blood cells that are sickled shape mm. collecting in an area causing pain but what does because somebody i know described the pain oh, i can't remember what she said something like just like really severe pain, like quite yeah. sharp pain. Um, so yeah, so for for individual people, it's very different. Okay. And I think growing up, I realised that. So for me, I think I've I've increased my tolerance for pain, which I, I don't know if it's helped, but I think it's definitely helped in terms of not taking as many painkillers. Okay. So the pain it varies. So as I said, it's very unpredictable. Mm-hmm. So it, it there's different degrees of a crisis. Right. So I could be like here as we're talking, and could have a pain in my wrist, mm-hmm. but it's it's some it's like an ache. Yeah. So it's something that I can continue with like my daily activities, mm. get on with stuff, and it's just there, mm. like nagging. And usually for that, I wouldn't necessarily take 
any painkillers mm-hmm. and it would just go yeah it might go within like 20 minutes and then but sometimes a dull pain like that could like linger for the whole day yeah could linger till the next day mm. until you then like take something for it mm-hmm. there are other pains like you could get like a sharp shooting pain yeah a lot sometimes when it is quite bad for me and sometimes i don't really know what is bad yeah because you're used to um, you, being yeah, a lot. yeah where someone else might think oh my gosh what is this yeah 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 <laughs> what's going on and panic but yeah so the other kind of pains it's like you know i can describe it it's like somebody holding like a rubber band say around your leg like your yeah like yeah. your legs being like suffocated uh-huh. that like restriction of blood flow <laughs> that <laughs> kind of feeling right throbbing mm-hmm. it, it varies um the worst the worst pain i have felt i was actually doing my undergrad yeah and i was off uni for a week mm. and for me it's it, it is kind of unusual for me to experience pain for that length of time yes normally it would just go one or two days it's gone but this time i remember i think i was about 19 and i was first year of uni and it rained. So mm-hmm. I went out, my socks got wet, came, ran home, changed everything. And then the pain just started from there. And I don't think I could walk properly for a week. Like I was on crutches. Goodness. And I think then I wasn't on really strong painkillers right. either. Yeah. And that is, I think that is the, the other thing is the painkillers you can get very addicted to. Yeah. Like you're not going to be popping like codeine like no. <laughs> every day. No. I think we I think we were at uni and I, you know, opened my bag like a pharmacy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> gave, gave you guys a little shock on that day. But even then, for me, it's normal. Mm. When I actually do stuff like that, I actually remember, actually, this isn't normal. But... Yeah, so I think that that is a major thing and it's something I see all the time. So my mm-hmm. cousin has sickle cell anemia. Right. And she's always like in and out of hospital. Yeah. But the painkillers she takes are very, very high. Yeah. They make you very drowsy. Yeah. And I've I've experienced it taking like tramadol three times a day. You were taking tramadol three times a day. Yeah. But this is what this is what the doctors recommend for, for that for those times where you're in severe pain and you're yeah. in crises yeah and i kind of just thought i'm taking these painkillers i feel out of it i'm you know feeling nauseous because of it yeah and they kind of just mask the pain and it's probably affecting your sleep because i've heard about people having yeah. nightmares on that stuff very lucid nightmares yeah. so it's crazy i think so that time i'll, I'll was probably I had a crisis for about two weeks, and I was supposed to fly to Vegas oh, in a few no. days. Oh. I did. I ended up going and had did a you? Yeah, that's it. I had You're a like, great I don't care if I'm a pay. I'm going to Vegas. Uh, I had a great time, but it just reminded me of I, I just never want to feel like that again. Yeah. So I have I have morphine. After that time, they gave me morphine at mm. home, mm. but I just try and keep myself so. Even something as like ibuprofen, I have codidromol. I was going to say ibuprofen is not going to touch it, really. But I've kind of made, partly I do think it is a mind thing sometimes. Not all the time, but Mm. sometimes the way I've seen it is like, okay, it's mind over matter. Maybe a little bit, but also you're in a very painful disorder. So, but I I know what you mean about... Do you second I mean, guess it sometimes? They're like, oh, am I really feeling it? And I've heard this from other people. Is this a real pain or am I, ha- where is this pain? Like, is it real? Is it a number 10? Is it a number five? Like, if I added some stuff into that to make it feel yeah. like it's worse. I mean, I suppose, I don't mean in terms of the pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in terms of pain, but I think more so with the medication. Because mm. I think it's very easy to get higher and higher yeah on that you don't want to be reliant on it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so so i think okay i'm in pain i'll take ibuprofen with like code 
which okay. does normally like just nip it in the bud. Right. But yeah. But I, I keep telling myself it will work, and it normally right. Works. So your your mindset is like, it's, I'm going to take this, it's going to work, and I'll yeah, okay, okay. And so usually, nice. I do think some of these painkillers mask the pain. Mm. They just mask over it for a certain period of time mm. until it wears off, and then you take the next dose and the next one. So yeah, but obviously, if the pain is really unbearable by any means you know yeah. you go to what works for you absolutely and and sometimes that does mean hospitalization because mm. you know there's only so much pain you can take with taking those when he, in the hospital they've obviously got more resources to help you put you on a drip all of those things there but it's it yeah. sounds so difficult but the way you deal with it is like oh, it's a bit, oh yeah like I don't know what real pain is and what isn't because your pain tolerance must be like at most people's like my pain and your pain, how I feel pain is probably very different to how you feel the pain and what your tolerance levels are for it. So I think it's testament to your tenacity that you're on like your second degree, like you're, you're about to embark on a new career path. You've done some really full on hands on roles with a condition like this i think it's extremely powerful lesson for people like obviously everyone's got their own yeah yeah things to deal with but if you can do it with quite significant barriers it can be done however well you want it to be done it can be done it's just you might have to take a different route yeah yeah definitely and that going back to the course as mm. well the counseling and psychotherapy i think it that it has definitely taught me that as well like not to as i'm talking about it now as you said not to kind of downplay my experiences because they are valid because mm. i always have in the back of my head like you know other people have it you know a lot worse yeah. and compared to you know what i'm going through like i can't complain but no it and it's it's kind of made me not change but like see my condition in a different way like Absolutely. I'm working with it whereas mm. before I think I was I was always working against it like fighting with it yeah like knowing what you can what works well for you and maybe that's led to your like next steps like mm. can I do these kinds of jobs where I am on the go like shifts and and you tried it and you were like mm maybe not for me right now so sidestepping and finding a different way to manage your condition as well as go to where your passion is so that's really insightful and it's quite admirable if I've said that word in the correct way I'm, I'm, I'm having yeah. issues with speaking today so I can't say words <laughs> well, I'll take admirable love yes. it <laughs> it is no it's true like really interesting so next step so for the the postgraduate diploma that you've just finished for the listeners bianca's actually finished her 100 hours so bianca can take clients now so anyone that needs counselors like a therapist that just get in touch she's very good because i know that we've trained together so we were taught the same thing and she's excellent so what do you want to do with that qualification that you have in your hand gosh as soon as we finished i had so many i have so many ideas mm. but mainly the main two things that I'm kind of looking at is private practice mm -hmm. eventually mm -hmm. and just some part-time work. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, part-time. I'm, I'm staying in my lane. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my condition saying part-time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With children, mm -hmm. I've always said, and because I did my placement at college, I mm -hmm. really wanted to continue with students uh -huh. so yeah i'm kind of looking in the direction of the higher education right but also keep, just keeping my options open yeah that sounds like a really, really good plan and the wealth of your experiences you've got you could literally work in so many different settings like mm. privately but in a school or in a nhs trust or in a recovery center as a 
like a a locum counselor if you wanted to do that or a a full-time member or part-time member sorry um so it sounds great one thing i forgot to ask is about your placement um so people are doing counseling courses especially level four up i think it's level four maybe level three has to do you need to do counseling placements to get experience practically as a student of working with clients so bianca's placement was with young people at a are they higher education college? Is that what they're called or further yeah, education? Higher, higher education. education. So a college 16 to 18 year olds. But it sounds really great. So you can explain that a bit more. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. I met so many young people mm. and the type of place it was, which it was very different. So it's a performing arts college. Oh, really? So, yeah. So you, every week I would see so many different characters Mm. girls with half green half pink dyed hair Mm. but the issues they brought to therapy it was like i was in the room with an adult who had had like 30 years of experience Mm. and some it was some of the clients i had it was quite sad Mm. just to to see that they hadn't really had much of a childhood Mm. yeah and you kind of think, all right, young people, you know, what kind of issues are they going to bring? In my head, maybe not for other people, but my impression sometime of young people before my mm. placement mm. was, you know, what kind of issues are they going to bring? Will it be complex yeah. issues or yeah. things like more socially, like with friendship groups and yeah. that kind of thing? But no, I was wrong. wow I was wrong no yeah the things that they have to contend with at those the ages of 16 to 18 I couldn't even I mean I was doing A levels I couldn't even imagine having to look after like my four younger siblings things like that and look for somewhere to live it's just yeah like real yeah like real issues the issue the issues were were real Mm. and I think probably your work with young people previously not prepared you but at least you were able to work in that space like you had experience working in that space before obviously in a totally different setting and a different level of responsibility but it still was able to get to you to where you you were at that point yeah and I think I think from I had I've always had a passion or like that I would say ability because I know working with children is not easy. Oh. Um, <laughs> but I found, like, even through working in schools, I've worked in nurseries before as well. Mm. There's always been that, like, natural kind of instinct that I've had, like, building that relationship with children and young people. Yeah. Which I enjoy. Um, and I think it's, well, I find it quite easy to relate to them, mm. which I think transferred having them as clients yeah and they felt that yeah they definitely did because when I did leave my placement this was when we were going on to remote counseling and uh-huh. COVID kicked off and yeah. but I had kind of done my 100 hours I went over 100 hours and I had decided to leave by a certain date mm. and then it all just went ahead anyway I think it's the relationship you had with your clients yeah yeah that was it. So as I was, I was having closing sessions with them mm. and we spoke about, you know, moving on. Do they see themselves having another therapist? And some of them said, yes. However, I think they were more concerned about, okay, well, there is another therapist and she was another black therapist mm-hmm. lady, but they were concerned about her age. Okay. And they were like, oh, but she's kind of old, isn't it? So, <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I think it is that barrier of like, will she understand us mm. in that way? You know, and I think, yeah. It's that perception, isn't it? Of what yeah. you think. Yeah. Oh. Well, they probably miss you a lot. They probably do. Yeah. I, I miss them. Oh. Well, one last question and wrapping up, but thank you so much for everything that you've shared. Like it's been so interesting and invaluable, I'm sure to other people listening. But the last question is like, what, based on what you know now, your career journey, what advice would you give to 
I suppose undergraduate psychology students or just people who are interested in pursuing mental health as a career or pursuing psychotherapy and counselling as a career, like what advice would you give people? Um, just do it. Literally, <laughs> just go for it. Follow your gut. Mm. Um, you know, you won't know unless you try. Absolutely. You, you really won't know. And as I've said before, each of those times where I thought I gave up on each job for yeah. about four or five times, yeah. it was actually my gut telling me this isn't right for you. Yes. And sometimes I think it's in hindsight, knowing that now, like yeah. just listen, listen to yourself. Yeah. Like your body will tell you this isn't for you. This yeah. situation isn't for you. Yeah. And I think that is exactly what, what was happening to me. Mm. And it's so funny. I remember it now. And I was in like a, um, a recovery house, residential, mm. doing mm. agency work. Mm-hmm. I was on the course. And one of the residents, it was really rough there. And he came in, started making conversation with me. And he said, oh, you don't belong. You don't belong here. Really? And I thought, okay, this is weird. But I'm just going to bypass it, carry on. (laughs) But (laughs) I don't know. When I went home, I thought, oh, maybe it was a sign. I don't don't belong here. I don't belong here. (laughs) Next day, you handed your resignation. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) But no, yeah, I would just say, follow your gut. Mm. And you never know because you re- you might really enjoy mm-hmm. something, and if you don't, you don't always have options. Absolutely. Well, based on that, I'm going to wrap up now. But thank you so much, Bianca. What I'm going to do is link some of the things we spoke about: so sickle cell and thalassemia <laughs> society website, <laughs> maybe a few psychotherapy and counselling courses. Of course, UEL's course, but I'll probably put. Um, city university's undergrad in there as well so i'll put a few links in the description for everybody to access if they need it but thank you and have a lovely evening